This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye-bye-bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. The FTSE 100 today closing a little bit softer, negative a third of 1%. Across the continent, fairly decent with the DAX up by 0.36%. European equities taken by the Stock 600 on a four-day winning streak. The best start to the year in five years. The Stock 600 having its best week last week since the spring of last year. The S&P 500 in the United States having its best week last week. Biggest weekly gain in well over a year. After four straight days of four all-time highs on the S&P 500, just a little bit softer today with the emphasis on little. We're down by a single point. The Dow off by about 38 or so. In the FX market, all day has been a story just of dollar strength, and that's where we stay with the euro dollar coming and down about a half of 1% at 119.73. The dollar more broadly stronger against most of the G10 today with the exception of the Kiwi, the New Zealand dollar. And to round things out in the bond market, the story as follows. Treasury yields coming down about a basis point throughout much of the session, then reversing that. We're now higher by a single basis point to around 2.48% on a US 10-year. So that gives you a feel of this market as we kick off a brand new trading week. Let's get you some top stories. Here's Charlie Pellet. And I thank you very much, Charlie. Jonathan Farrow, happy Monday. Lots going on. Brexit, flooding at JFK, and vodka among some of the stories we're reporting on. One of the thorniest questions now facing Brexit negotiators, how to handle the UK's new land border with Ireland, suddenly looking even more difficult. The experienced Jane Brokenshire resigned as Northern Ireland Secretary for Health Reasons today. His departure, a blow for Prime Minister May, who trusted him as a loyal supporter and could work with her key allies in Northern Ireland's Democratic Unionist Party. More problems at New York's John F. Kennedy Airport following that severe storm last week. Flooding at one of the terminals caused more flights to be delayed or diverted. The storm already left thousands of passengers stranded and others had to search through mountains of bags for their luggage. The world's most expensive bottle of vodka has been returned empty. Police in Copenhagen say the gold and silver bottle with diamond-encrusted cap worth $1.3 million was stolen from a bar. Police say the thief appears to have consumed all the vodka and dumped the bottle at a construction site. The bottle wasn't broken, so the owner says he plans to just refill it. Well, I'm assuming the, the value is in the bottle not the actual vodka. This story has more questions than I have answers for. Okay, no, right, fair enough. Right, 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 right. I mean, Do you have why any would answers for the JFK terminal mess, considering you're such um, a yeah, yeah. traveler? It didn't. I'm not hearing about this at Newark Airport. So on the other hand, so JFK, what's going on? Uh, that's a, that's a really good question. On the other hand, listen, this was a brutal storm by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. On the other hand, it is the northeastern part of the United States. They are accustomed to wind. They are accustomed to snow. Uh, they should be prepared. But I'm this used- was a brutal 
brutal I'm storm. I'm used to flights being cancelled in the UK with a centimetre of snow. I'm used to that. Yeah, but let me tell you, you talk, you know... But this was you, several inches. And, this was but, serious snow. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was, on the other hand, from what I hear, it wasn't keeping the runways clear that was the issue. It was the infrastructure for the terminals. Uh, you know, you had baggage belts that weren't, weren't working. You had flights that got cancelled. Uh, that said, though, you know, you think out at Heathrow, anytime there's fog, you get big delays there. You think yeah. about when Terminal 5 I opened, all the problems. I'm not making up excuses for, for UK airports. Yeah, well, on balance, worked. on balance, my, my, my experience at UK airports has been unbelievably I'm positive. Big, on balance, I'm a big Heathrow fan. Yeah, Terminal Five, Terminal Three, big Heathrow fan. Out of three, three or five, yeah. usually five. Yeah, love London Heathrow, Gatwick, not so much. We've talked about that before on this program. <laughs> JFK Terminal Four, though. A burst water main. It flooded the arrivals and it flooded the baggage collection belt. It, it just, it just so awful apparently there were just bags going round and round and round and no one picking them up. Yeah, that that said, part of the reason why I'm not being perhaps as hard on these guys as yeah. I uh, as you might want me to be is I spent I, much of no, last week. Don't infer not, anything from the no, question. No, 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 you but, go but as I, hard as soft I, as you I, like. I, on I, JFK. I spent I spent much of last week without either cold or either hot water, depending on the day in my apartment in Brooklyn. Why? Because of frozen pipes. Okay. So I. You know, things happen, and on the other hand, this was just an extraordinary stretch of unbelievable cold. You've got to leave the heating on a little bit, Charlie. Uh, that's well, turns you out, know? no, you actually got to leave the water on a little bit. You that's just what. Got to uh, let run the hot tap all day. Nah, now nah, they brought in heaters to do it, but you know, okay. th- things, have, things have cured today because the temperature in New York, 18 degrees Fahrenheit. Things have gotten a little bit yeah, warmer. Yeah, we got a little bit above zero. Charlie, yeah, exactly. great. Cheers. Thank Thank you. I'll, speak, I'll speak to you in about 25 minutes. Um, the UK Prime Minister, she's having what we call a cabinet reshuffle. It's not dramatic. It happens periodically throughout many government's terms, and it's happening again today. May's office confirms Amber Rudd has uh, retained her cabinet job as Home Secretary. Boris Johnson stayed on as Foreign Secretary. Mm-hmm. David Davis as Brexit Secretary. Philip Hammond as Chancellor of the Exchequer. So why did the UK press spend so much time talking about it when there's when there's no big change? You Marcus, Marcus Ashworth, can you help me out here? Why this is big news in the UK? <laughs> I can see why you're just yawning then. Um, it's, it's the most <laughs> pathetic waste of time I've ever come across and exemplifies... exemplifies what went wrong with May in the first place? They've let this build this up, and no one, or nothing of anyone of any interest has gone anywhere or done anything. So I'm trying to get my head around this. The stories that the media cares about, and then the stories that people care about, and sometimes there's a big spread between the two. And I don't know whether it's the media that was getting a big hoo-ha about this, Marcus, or whether this was just Prime Minister May not handling expectations properly. This this is her political inability to do anything and the reason why she will never be allowed by the Tory party to actually uh, t- take on another election, despite her clear evidence she wants to. You know, the fact that Sajid Javid has been given and now has been called the housing secretary when he did a, a very political move ahead of the budget and said, uh, we should build all these houses and got knocked back by the Chancellor very clearly, has now been effectively promoted to a slightly bigger um, uh, media brief, a brief yeah. of, of, of cabinet position, is tantamount the fact that you can get away with anything in this, in, in this, in this May government, which is green lights for, you know, Davis and uh, Boris Johnson and Gove on, on the Brexit camp, and likewise for the Chancellor on, on the, and Amber Rudd on the Remain camp. But this is not leading. This is, she's stepped backwards. The fact that there was a debacle over announcing um, clearly Grayling moving to chairman and then reversing it and, and promoting someone else, Brandon Lewis, to basically no one ever heard of. Um, you've got you've got a, a situation whereby it's, it's a little shuffling of 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 
shit airs, but it's yeah. meaningless. Meaningless. Michael Hewson, help me out here. I, I was told we might get a no deal Brexit cabinet member. Um, did we get one? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know, I mean, why did? Why didn't you just send in Noel Edmonds and the banker, deal or no deal? I, I love there it. Honestly, go. a colleague of mine, Lorcan Roche-Kelly, um, tweeted out, this is the equivalent of going to marriage counselling and taking your divorce lawyer with you. Um, it doesn't send it, the greatest message, does it? It is, it is, Jonathan, but, you know, in defence, you don't usually have 27 other parties in the room. <laughs> uh, and that's what you've got um, with these particular announcements. But I think with respect to the reshuffle... You know, Mark, I note Marcus's scepticism, and ultimately, all the senior hands on the bridge of the Titanic, um, <laughs> Great Britain, have been kept intact. But actually, I do see some green shoots here because ultimately, what she has done is she's shaken up the Conservative Party, um, you know, central office, the chairman, appointed a whole raft of very up-and-coming young people or young young MPs who could at the next election, I think, tap in to a much more effective social media strategy. It's significant that James Cleverly has been appointed Brandon Lewis's deputy, and he's very clued up on social media, as okay. are a number of other rising stars like um, Kemi Badenoch, for example. You do so, know your stuff, Michael. I do. I'm I try. In, I'm impressed. Thank you. One of us has to. Michael Houston of CMC, Marcus Ashworth of Gadfly. Sticking with me, next up. Things are all great. Awesome, apparently, in Europe. Eurozone economic confidence soaring to a nearly two-decade high. A politics there just as awesome. That's next. This is Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to The Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Ferrer on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It's just gone 5.10. Confidence in the Eurozone continued its advance at the end of 2017, capping what was probably the strongest year for the economy in a decade. The European Commission's measure of sentiment touched its highest since late 2000 in December. The reading, 116, above the median forecast of 114.8 in our survey, and was based on an improvement in the outlook for industry and services. So are things that good in Europe? Marcus Ashworth of Gadfly with me alongside Michael Hewson of CMC Markets. Marcus, are things that good? Things perfect. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Things are awesome in Europe? Yeah, i just been looking at uh, default rates, expectations, and also uh, ratings upgrades versus downgrades um, from the rating agencies. And the expectations, and this is for high yield, not uh, investment grade, is that um, default rates in Europe for high yield will drop to just about 1% next year. It's extraordinary. It's gone down from a high of 10%. There is essentially no expectations from the rating agencies that the, the default rate is going anything other than down. And likewise, as, for, as far as upgrades versus downgrades, the biggest improver this last year has been led by uh, European sovereigns and... Um, um, and financial institutions worldwide, they're, they're, they've been the strongest recovery. So y- Europe as a whole, courtesy of, of the rating agency's outlook, could not be any better. Mark Hewson? Have you not seen the Lego movie? Yeah, I have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to sing it and incorporate I'm not, not sing it, but, you know, if, name and yeah, stuff? If the yeah, things are so Draghi. great, Mr Draghi, raise those rates, withdraw that stimulus, everything is hunky-dory. 
you know, if the eurozone is not growing with interest rates at minus 0.7% on on the on the German bond, you've really got to ask yourself what what is wrong. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I think the fact that rates are this low, I would expect this sort of expansion. But, and there's a big but, what will happen if interest rates start to normalise? What will happen if there is a surprise at the Italian elections this March? The Eurozone is far from fixed. All that's happened is it's been anaesthetised with a huge amount of stimulus. And ultimately, the big test for me is whether or not we see that continue when interest rates start to normalise or the Euro-dollar starts to go through 121 and heads towards 125. You guys are both pretty politically savvy market participants. Um, does it matter, Marcus, that Merkel can't put together a government? Yes, but no, but maybe. I mean, no other... Well, half the governments in, in Europe aren't governments anyway, are they? I mean, we're run by Juncker, we know that. But no, but seriously, you've got <laughs> Belgium, Netherlands. I mean, the list goes on. They're all got governments or non-governments or minority governments like the Irish or wherever else it may be, you know, yes, there's going to be a, 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 co- a grand coalition, probably of sorts. Will it do anything? Probably not. Will Merkel be seen as the figurehead of Europe still? Yes. So if the rest of, of uh, Europe doesn't really have proper, clear, clear government, then um, does it matter? Probably not. I think we're in a sweet spot, John. I think yeah. we're in a sweet spot where the global economy is growing quite nicely, businesses are doing well, and ultimately with the you know, with with the anaesthetic of ECB stimulus coursing through the Eurozone economy, everything's fine until it isn't. And I think that's the big concern that I have going forward. We're in a bit of a sweet spot now. What happens if we hit a little bit of a speed bump? All right. Marcus Houston, sticking with me, Chief Market Analyst for CMC Markets in London, alongside Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg Gadfly columnist, staying with me. And as for that speed bump, have things gone a little bit too far? Coming up next on The Cable, we're going to talk about some big calls. Two of the biggest hitters in financial markets are sounding warnings against complacency in the global economy. Economists are coming increasingly optimistic about the prospects and the fundamentals, whether it's the United States, Europe, or across Asia and in China. But has that enthusiasm gone too far? And will it be even more difficult, increasingly so, as the year progresses to beat much higher expectations? We're going to have a conversation about that next. Of course, Marcus Ashworth of Gadfly will be sticking with me alongside Marcus Hewson of CMC. That's up next on this programme. You are listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrell on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrell. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It has just gone 518 After the first week of 2018 saw some strong data and multiple stock market records, Citigroup and PIMCO have told clients there are still reasons to be worried. Both agree there's some cause for optimism. They cite geopolitical risk factors, though, a removal of central bank stimulus and the risk of an inflation overshoot as the possible risks. Investors showing few signs of unease with global stocks at all-time highs and I would say volatility measures still very much subdued while riskier assets have recovered further gains in the first week of trading of the year. Uh, Marcus, things are looking good. It's reflected in markets. Yet, do you think um, we've got the rose-tinted glasses on uh, as we look at things around the world? 
Most certainly, and I'm I'm not ashamed to say that uh, I think um, it's about time the bond markets reacted to that. About time stock markets continue to carry on noodling higher as they are melting up. But um, you know, it, it's a micro world now, not a macro world. The macro uh, backdrop is is positive. You have to be careful. You are investing the right you know micro elements of it because you can still catch uh, things wrong. Um, as we've seen with you know variety of companies every now and again fall off the cliff like Steinhoff or whatever it may be. Yeah. So um, as long as you're aware you're wearing rose-twinted set spectacles, that's perfectly fine. Michael? And then you make a spectacle of yourself. Hey. Oh, that was good. Well boom, done, mate. Boom. Well done. Um, Happy Monday. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I share the concerns, particularly surrounding inflation. Um, look at commodity prices and what they've done over the last six months. Crude, crude oil prices are up 42% since the end of July. Palladium prices up 25%, copper prices up 11 You're not seriously telling me that that's not going to manifest itself further down the line, maybe later this year, in a slightly elevated inflation outlook, which will then yeah. obviously translate into slightly higher wage demands from workers who've been squeezed for quite some time. So I think the market is underestimating the impact of these commodity price moves. We're not seeing them manifested in the headline numbers yet, but I can't avoid the fact that we could well start to see the effects of these rises in commodity prices reflected later this year. And actually looking at the US two-year yield, it's actually yielding more than the average 12-month rolling yield on the S&P 500, which suggests to me that you're better off holding US treasuries because you get a higher yield than you would be if you were trading the S&P 500 at 2,700. So I want to pick out your first point, and that's inflation risk. And Marcus, I want to ask the following question. We've seen break-even rates pick up recently, and I'm trying to gauge whether that's someone trying to hedge inflation risk this year, buying up tips, or whether it's a real change in point of view of this market, that they're getting ready. Fundamentally, it's becoming a base case scenario that we get an inflation pick up. I think it's it's more the latter in the sense that, uh, well, both in the context, I think that, yes, there's definitely being, it makes sense to hedge yourself a bit more on, on, on inflation risk because this growth is clearly coming through. And I think it was uh, Sir John Templeton who said there were four stages of a bull market. It starts off with uh, pessimism, um, it then shifts to to scepticism, which I think we're, we're moving away from, to the third stage, which is optimism, and it obviously ends in euphoria. And I think we're making, we are making a, a mood shift here. I think it's important to notice that. And inflation is, uh, as, as Michael's pointing out, is, is, is the thing that can ruin this, or, or rather very quickly, yeah. um, or if it remains as, as mute as it has been for the last uh, seven, eight, and ten years, uh, despite the central banks chucking unbelievable amounts of stimulus at it, then uh, you know, that, that's, that's the, the, the key question. We haven't seen inflation really show up yet. Other markets are taking a little bit, a bit of uh, extra hedging here by um, buying out five-year, five-year forward inflation swaps. Yes, I'm sure they are. Uh, it's ticked up steadily, of course, for the last six months. And that's something which, if I were running a portfolio with quite a lot of risk on it, I'd hedge myself on the inflation. What does that mean on the equity side, Michael? Buy them. Um, yeah, I mean, it depends on your market. Well, does it mean that, you know, get out of bond proxies and make sure you've got heavy, overweight exposure to cyclicals? What does it mean on a sector-to-sector basis across Europe? Well, I think technology is looking a little bit rich 
if I'm honest with you, because this has been it's been the main driver of the S&P 500. You know, and if you're looking at the S&P on any on a, on a dividend basis, 1.8% really doesn't really cut the mustard when you've got U.S. inflation um, or CPI around about 2.2% on yeah. a CPI measure. Now I know that the Fed doesn't target that, but you and I both experience that by the goods and services that we pay for in the shops. You know, irrespective of what the Fed thinks or does. Um, so I think there's a danger that if we do see a takeoff inflation, that will impact US markets in particular, simply because of how much they've gained over the last two to three years. I mean, I wrote a note this morning, basically looking at the S&P, looking at the Dow. I mean, no one cares about the Dow. It's an irrelevant index in terms of how it's calculated. President of the United States does, Michael. Well, I'm sure he does, but unfortunately he doesn't probably understand how the Dow is calculated. I'm sure he knows that it's a price-weighted index. I'm not sure that he does. I'm just sure that it suits his narrative. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt, Let's give him the benefit of the doubt, shall we? Okay, Okay. Marcus Ashworth, just to wrap things up with you, sir. Are we going to get the good kind of inflation with the corresponding rise in wages? Or is this a phenomenon of negative real wage growth in the UK going to become a Western phenomenon in Europe and the United States as well? What is good inflation? What is bad inflation? I mean, at the moment, we're getting bad inflation because it's oil-driven. It's, you know, it's outside and it's uh, outside of control of the, um, of the central banks. So in that sense, will that shift to being positive wage growth through feeding through to productivity and all that sort of Phillips curve golden stuff? There's no real sign of it, to be quite frank. Uh, you know, we're seeing consumer credit falling away in the UK. Um, the Bank of England is saying it's it's actually the cons- growth in consumer credit. They're feeling more relaxed about it now, but it's coming from the wealthier people with with houses without mortgages, should we say? Where's it so going, though, Marcus? Where's this inflation going? Well, that's our problem. They can't quite create it. They're, they're yeah. trying to create, it and they can't still can't quite do it. So yeah. it's coming through. It's just coming through very slowly. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it'll be there, sure enough. All right, gents, been great to catch up with you. Have a fantastic week. Yeah, happy new year, John. Yeah, uh, happy new year to my, you, Michael. Oh, did, we not speak, did we not speak last week? No, no, I, this is did. my first day back in the office. Is it really? Mm. Oh, well, welcome back. Thank you, mate. Welcome back. Well, happy I'm, new year I'm, to you. I appreciate the fact you noticed. <laughs> <laughs> We're Marcus Ashworth. I'm in trouble. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live on DAB Digital Radio. It's just gone 5.30 in the city. We've got Cameron Christ of Bloomberg alongside me today. Vince Signorella joining in as well, global macro strategist, which means we're going to have a little bit of time for West Ham a little bit later in the programme. There's going to be listeners of this programme that wonder why West Ham is the only football club that gets any discussion on here, Cameron. Um, you really are pushing this agenda. I do wonder how you, you beat West Brom, draw with Spurs, and then go to Shrewsbury and do nothing, how that actually works. Well, you play the same strategy, the same tactics. You put 11 men behind the ball, hope yeah. to catch them on the break. Um, we managed to do so against West Brom and Spurs, but what can I say? Shrewsbury was just a little too tough for us. Um, what's, what's funny is that the best player on the pitch was a 21-year-old debutante who sort of 10 minutes from the end, caught a uh, rather nasty boot in the face, lost oh lost two of his incisors. So that just writes the headline. The headlines write themselves a, toothle- you, a toothless display from West Ham. Oh, wow. 
Charlie Pellet, you'd be proud of that part. I, I really would. I really would. Nice headline writing. Charlie Pellet, we're going to get you uh, some top stories. So an update on JFK, maybe. Yeah, let's begin with JFK because they still have problems. Lots of delays, lots of frustration. You might have seen the images either in the paper or on television or on the internet. People sleeping on cardboard there. But adding to the woes, they had a water main break over the weekend. Lots of problems following that severe storm last week. Uh, cold temperatures, a big part of the problem for the northeastern part of the U.S. But flooding at one of the terminals caused more flights to be delayed or diverted. The storm had already left thousands of passengers stranded. Others had to search through mountains of bags for their luggage, things just beginning to get back to normal. One of the thorniest questions facing Brexit negotiators, how to handle the UK's new land border with Ireland, suddenly looking even more difficult. The experienced James Brokenshire resigned as Northern Ireland Secretary for Health Reasons today. His departure seen as a major blow for Prime Minister May. And the world's most expensive bottle of vodka has been returned empty. Police in Copenhagen say the gold and silver bottle with a diamond-encrusted cap worth $1.3 million was stolen from a bar. Police say the thief appears to have consumed all of the vodka, dumped the bottle at a construction site. The bottle wasn't broken, so the owner says he plans to just refill it. That is the latest from the news desk. I'm in disbelief too. Jonathan Farrow, back to you. It was a dark night and Vince Signorella needed a drink. (laughs) A man walks into a bar. I'm clear on on that one because I'm out of vodka drink. You know, I didn't yeah. think you would I, be. I, no, in a pinch, however, if, there's, if there is no scotch. If it looked, or if you'd had a lot of scotch and this bottle was glittering behind the bar and the barman stepped away. I I, I will say I'm occasionally a, a gin martini with okay. a few olives, more than vodka, but any port in a storm. I will, I, I will reach for vodka, but I'll, I'll mix it. I, won't, I don't want it straight. And I don't know about you guys, but if you have an asset worth $1.3 million... Yeah, should it be behind the bar? Uh, yeah, yeah, right? I mean, there yeah. are lots of questions about this story. I have a lot of questions about this story. Also a lot of questions of Americans as to why you mix vodka with soda water. Why yeah. is that a thing? Why is vodka soda a thing? Because it, it's, it's brilliant. It's disgusting. Mate, I drank that in Europe. Way before I drank it in the States. I've, Throw a little lime juice what, in there. I've, I've the vodka it, gimlet I've, it is... Well, yeah, that's different. Well, yeah, so that, I'm down with no the vodka soda. gimlet. There's, there's no I'm down soda. with the vodka gimlet. It's, just, it's, a, it's a vodka gimlet with sparkle. Yeah. Uh, uh, let, me, let me just raise one more question before I leave, perhaps incendiary in nature in this question. <laughs> sure, but isn't please. all vodka essentially the same chemically? Isn't, it, I, isn't I, vodka I exactly the same? court cases coming from the cable. Charlie Pellet, because there might be some brands out there that are incredibly upset by oh, the idea. Let, that let them reach out. We'll bring, let them reach out. Bring them on the program I, and, I, and make I their imagine case. I vodka vodka experts could tell the difference between a, a great goose and a. I and bet a they could. I, I personally, I'm with Charlie. I can't tell the difference. You don't think one's smooth versus the other? Well, then there's flavorings. That 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 presumably makes a difference. Well, I imagine that makes a difference. I think I always hear someone reach for a vodka and say, "Yeah, that's smooth." That's real smooth. <laughs> As if it's different to anything else. And how how is vodka smooth anyway? It beats me. I mean, I just, same with scotch. There's nothing smooth about scotch. No, but yeah, but at least there's differentiation. You there. can tell the difference between one scotch and another. Yeah.
All right, I'll leave you with the legal problems. I'm out of here. Thank you. Uh, thanks for dropping that. Mind bomb. the closing doors. Any, anyone, any, <laughs> any, that's quite fun. For anyone that doesn't know, Charlie Pellet is the voice of the the New York subway. Um, so that actually is quite funny. Um, Vince, it's great to catch up. Come across alongside us today. I spoke to Gary Cohn on Friday, um, and it was like talking to Gary from Goldman. It wasn't like talking to Gary from Washington D.C. Take a listen to to what he had to say about stock prices. The stock market is a reflection of what is going on in the global economies, what companies are doing from an earnings perspective. And again, I'm not sure people really understand the effective tax reform in the stock market. And we have yet to see the capital expenditure that's going to come through for five years of expensing. I think the stock market and some other pretty famous investors over the last 24, 48 hours have agreed with us that the stock market is not expensive right now. So that was Gary Cohn, the National Economic Council Director, uh, the Chief Economic Advisor to the President of the United States, joining me on Friday on Bloomberg Radio and Bloomberg TV. And I kind of sat there as he said those things that the stock market wasn't expensive, Vince. And I sat there and I thought, well, it's Gary from Goldman. You know, I'm, this is what I'd expect from, from anyone on Wall Street to say these kind of things. And then I stepped away and it was only over the weekend, really, that I thought, Cameron... This is the White House saying that stocks aren't expensive. This is a little bit weird. Well, I mean, what do you expect him to say? Uh, for better or for worse, the president has decided to use the stock market as a scoreboard for his administration. So what's he going to say? I wouldn't buy it with, with yours, let alone mine. Uh, of course he's going to say it's not expensive yeah, he's, and things are looking good. He's talking his boss's book. Yeah. I mean, he, he the, the president has gone out every time the stock market has hit a new high and said, look at me, this is all due to my administration. And so now you've got, this, you know, Mr. Cohen has to basically toe the line and, and suggest that the, the stock market is a reflection of the, the positive administration. So what's the risk, Cameron, of using this as a scoreboard? Well... You know, when it goes down, <laughs> and it will eventually yeah. because it always does, uh, if they are still in power, then all of a sudden he has some spinning to do. Now, you know. But is there a presidential put here? That's what I'm trying to understand. It, you know, with the Federal Reserve, you kind of understand the reaction function. The stocks go down, they'll back off, and that's why there's this Federal Reserve put in there that kind of puts this floor in markets. Can the President of the United States, can the administration do the same thing? Uh, no. There's no response there, is there? I don't think so. What about you, Vince? I, what's, it, what's the reaction function? Okay, you want to bid stocks up. You want the melt up. Fine, that's your scoreboard. Mm-hmm. I understand that. But what happens when you have to own the downside? What? How do you react? I just blame it on the Democrats. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what will happen. They'll they'll come. They'll spin it in some way, shape, or form yeah. that says, because the Democrats didn't align with this, that, or, or whatever proposal, the the markets did not continue to take wing, and and therefore it's it's not my fault. Well, the, the narrative writes itself this year, at least uh, until uh, November. Stock market goes yeah. down. Trump says, "Well, see, the market is worried that the Democrats will get control of the Perfectly House." Perfectly said. Absolutely. Is why, which is why yes. you need to vote for me and for us. Tell you what, we can set the rest of the year out, and that you and I will just write a couple of articles for for the rest of the year, and we'll tell them put this one out in September, um, and then we can write a few more about the Fed through the year and tell them to 
when to publish. How about that? Sounds so, no, good. Then we can us, spend the rest of the time at the pub uh, dissecting yeah, the football. I, I, I would love that. Cameron Kreiss, macro strategist for Bloomberg, alongside Vince Signorella, global macro strategist right here at Bloomberg in New York. Next up on the program, Saudi Aramco. It's coming to market, apparently, and it's got some uh, new lead bankers, according to one report. That's next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It's just gone 5.40 in the city. One of the top stories today, Sally Aramco is ready to name Goldman Sachs' and Citigroup to help manage what may be the world's largest share sale ever. According to people familiar with the matter, JP Morgan Chase, HSBC and Morgan Stanley also expected to be named as global coordinators along with Goldman and City as uh, the lead bankers on the IPO. Aramco has said the offering is still on track to take place this year. Cameron, do you think it's still on track to take place this year? Well, they I mean, they, unless I was sort of dozing off there, they didn't actually say where they're going to list it yet, have they? Well, I thought they have. I thought we'd been told that. It's about whether it takes place this year, next year, or, or ever. The intention is to list it. No, but where? Oh, we haven't got a destination. Yeah, no, that, which is the point. Right. You kind of have to yeah. decide where you're going to list before you there can has been this. Start. There has been this huge political well, push yeah, from, from almost everyone per, to capture know, it. Beauty parade. Prime of, Minister uh, May took our, the uh, the CEO at the time of the LSC, Javier Role, didn't she? She took him over to yeah. Riyadh um, to try and secure this IPO. I guess from an index point of view, it would make sense if the Aramco offering was in London and it did list on the FTSE. Wouldn't that make sense? Given the given the uh, the uh, the energy listings already on the index, well, does it? To I mean, it's just one of a you know, it's one of a cast of thousands, uh, in or thousands, perhaps a little extreme in in London, uh, whereas you know, it would be a nice to it would actually be a diversifier, to the uh, to the tech heavy, uh, S and P, if it listed in, in the in the U S. So um, you know, as a if you're a U.S. equity investor, I think you probably would hope. That you'd get an, uh, a little more energy tilt and yeah. a bit a bit less all eggs in one basket, um, you know, versus uh, from from the technology sector. But, Vince, your, your thoughts? I I, th- I have this sense that this is going to be this huge competition to list this IPO, and it's going to absolutely bust. It's, in what way? I I I just think it goes out at a price, and then we just see it decline rapidly from there. I, I just have this funny feeling that this is not the, the, the bank has priced this too. The rich. The bank has priced this too rich. It it um and it it doesn't go off as planned. And but the kingdom at the moment is very concerned about its reputation. Yeah, and I, and I wonder whether the kingdom really wants an IPO flop on their hands. Well, maybe not a flop per se, but something that just just drifts sideways and doesn't do anything in particular. I mean, we're at very, very steep levels in crude prices at the moment. Um, the, the, really, things have the, turned, if you think about yeah, it. The, the, things the, have turned in their direction for, they for have, them. They have in the sense of the price of crude, but the country also has budget issues to worry about. So you're essentially buying into a, a great unknown as to as to the new direction of where MBS is going to go with the kingdom and how that plays yeah. plays through, right? So, I mean, if you were looking at this as a as a as a company, for instance, you'd be looking at this this massive IPO issue into a fresh direction for a, a company going in going into areas where they've never been before, and how is that play? And do you risk a substantial investment in that? 
I, I personally would not. But then I'm a lousy equity trader, so we know don't that. listen to me. <laughs> yeah, there's also the uh, precedent of when insiders start to sell equity in in this sort of Glen, Glencore and Glassenberg and the uh, IPO Glencore is a great example. I mean, the, um, Blackstone going back to I think 2006 2007. Uh, you know, Goldman in 99, you know, listed to IPO. Actually, I think it was originally for 98, and then the market tanked. The, thing, the thing just smells of one of those old KKR deals where they would get into this huge leverage buyout and put out this massive glowing, you know, sort of prospectus. And the thing just tanks and, and does nothing. The thing that was always said about, about Glassenberg is that he's the best trader in the room. And why would you want to trade or get on the other side of the other of the trade of, with the best trader in the room? And when they went public with with Glencore, I don't think we're still still I don't think we're back at IPO levels on Glencore. So maybe that's what could happen. This yep. could be that Aramco style story. Do you want to get on the other side of the trade of the insiders? Jen's you're going to stick with me. Big week ahead. Um, not much happening in between. But on Friday, payrolls gone. Next up is retail sales and CPI. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You're listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio from a freezing New York City for the City of London at 5.48pm. Um, Cameron, brutal in New York. I went out Saturday and I think I walked back to mine from a shop took me about 15 minutes and literally the wind was ripping my face off yeah mate, it was that cold it's it, it's awful but it could be worse i have some friends who do this bicycle ride in the summer up mount oh washington i could not ride in, in this in, in, well no no of course you wouldn't ride in this in, in up mount washington in august but on yeah. saturday morning mount washington new hampshire so a few hours away from us was the coldest place on earth Cl- colder than the arctic yeah, antarctica it was, it was minus 38 celsius Wow. Ambient temperature, which was actually a degree or two um, warmer than than some places in Russia, but the wind was ninety two miles an hour. So that's hurricane winds. Yeah, I mean, so put that. This place uh, until very recently had the, the highest recorded wind temperature, wind speed, uh, non sort of hurricane. What's funny is Earth. today in New York is negative three. And negative three compared to what we've had over the last week would actually feel quite cozy. Yeah, the, the, the wife <laughs> asked me. Might, yes- might not need the heating on. <laughs> yeah, the wife asked me yesterday, what's uh, what's it, what's the temperature like for Monday? I said, oh yeah, it's going to be really warm. It's freezing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like. It's it's twenty seven in in American. It's twenty seven. Yeah, and this is minus this, three in English. And this weekend coming, we're going to have rain and. Uh, oh, it's, it's warming up. Fifty degrees. Yeah, I understand. It's warming up a little bit. The week is going to warm up a little bit as it progresses as well because. Um, There's not much happening between now and Friday. On Wednesday, the EIA crude oil inventory report is something to look out for. I think Thursday we get PPI data in the United States. Friday, a couple of big data points for the United States and for global markets, really. I think we move away from payrolls and focus much, much more on US CPI and any inflation data that comes from the United States. We get that and retail sales Friday. And JP Morgan will kick off fourth quarter earnings in the US too. So a, a lot going on. Cameron, the inflation numbers, it's like the new jobs Friday, isn't it? Yeah, I think we've reached the point where there's an acknowledgement that the labor market is, if not f- full employment, you're close enough. 
that the nexus of attention is tilted much more towards the inflation side of the equation for the Federal Reserve. Even in the labor market, people are more worried, more worried about wages than they are about monthly so, job numbers. So you do raise an important thing, and it's that I don't think we're just moving away from the payrolls numbers. I think we've just accepted that 2.5% wage growth for the Fed is okay and that maybe not much is going to happen here with the labour market. And the focus actually is almost exclusively in just headline inflation. But then that raises an interesting point, because in the UK, obviously, there's been this issue of pretty stagnant wage growth in the UK. And if you do manage to get inflation up, then what you're doing is you're eroding real income. So this is my question, whether the negative real wage growth story in the UK becomes a story for the United States as well. well. quite, quite, Quite possibly. Uh, which is why I would sort of take issue with the idea that the Fed has sort of said, oh, yeah, 2.5% wage growth is is okay. I think they would personally prefer to see that much closer to sort of 35 4%. Yeah, I agree. But just to jump back in, that's not what – let me reframe, reframe it. I don't think they're happy with 2.5%, but it looks like they're satisfied with 2.5%. Uh, and that maybe the focus for the markets, the perception, the market's perception of what the Fed may or may not do. I think there's a perception in the market right now, Vince, that the thing that could really move the dial going forward, if you don't get it on wage growth, it's going to come from headline inflation. Well, they have to be happy with what they're getting because they're not getting anything else. I will point out to you on Friday that we get there's the, the number that I'd like people to focus on, and a lot, this sort of goes by the boards a little bit. People look at average hourly earnings that comes out with payroll data. But a week later, which is this Friday, comes the real average weekly and um, hourly earnings data, which is total income adjusted for inflation. And this right. is this is really where you know the, it, it hits the road as to how much money you really have in your pocket and what that the spending power of that money is. And that is, I think, where if you if you look at that data and you see that going up, those numbers climbing, the purchasing power of the U.S. consumer is growing. Whether that comes from a decline in inflation or an increase in wages, in theory, it doesn't matter. It's That's the where it really hits. All right. So for the market, Cameron, um, people are picking up the inflation protection in quite a significant way over the last couple of weeks. Break-even rates picking up. Some appetite for tips from some investors that I've speaking, spoken to that last year would have laughed in my face. Um, they were the guys who were fading the reflation trade. And now if you push them enough, they'll tell you they've been buying tips. Well, I think there's an acknowledgement that where markets will really go, and we've spoken about this before, what can really send markets awry is inflation. So you ask yourself, how do I hedge uh, an overall portfolio against an inflation outcome? Well, the most literal way to do it is with inflation-protected securities, either outright or versus nominal, which is just a break-even trade. So I think that's driving a lot of this. I'm not sure if people necessarily expect inflation to rise dramatically, but they're just there's an acknowledgement that it's a real tail risk uh, to, the, to, to the portfolio. So if it's not a consensus outcome, at the very least, it's a consensus risk. Vince? E- e- equity traders clearly don't see inflation because the only thing that could really undermine the rally is inflation. And they're still guns a-blazing stock markets In what higher. way would it undermine the, the rally, though? You, you're talking about margins at specific companies. Is it a sector story? Well, no, I think you lose, you, you, you lose um, earnings. I mean, I, I don't think that the global corporates yet have the ability to pass on increases in pricing. So if you do get inflation, they don't have that ability to raise prices, per se. Therefore, that erodes earnings, and that will erode stock prices. 
in theory. And you've also got the issue of the higher the inflation rate, the lower the net present value of future earnings streams as well. Gents, this was fun, wasn't it? Always. Did you have a good time? Absolutely. We didn't even talk about Alexa and, and technology. Or Brexit. Lisa Bravis had a great joke that on, on radio somewhere, you could say Alexa, buy something, and that you could pick that voice up on, on, on someone's radio at home as they listen to this. It would work. And, and then someone could just go, buy this. So, so basically, and, and then it would deliver. What you're suggesting is that you're going to go long Amazon PA. No, no, Alexa, no. Alexa, no. You, you, how dare you suggest I would do that on this program. God, please. Cameron Christ, that was get a me joke for all regulators. I, I, well, I know. It was, it was a joke. It was a joke. Cameron Christ and Vince Signorella. This is Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to The Cable. <laughs>